Action Park Media. We would rather have taken Peyton. I could talk to Bill Pulling to see if we could trade up to that number one pick, which he wouldn't. The San Diego Chargers select quarterback Brian Leaf. Brian Leaf was seen as the guy who might climb farther, and Peyton Manning was seen as the guy who was more NFL ready at that moment. The Chargers might be getting the guy that had the better future. And I remember the next day as well when Leaf came in from an all-nighter in Vegas, which should have been a red flag at the time. It all started well for Ryan Leaf. There was certainly some aspects or holes in his game, but we really saw that we'd had a special player in terms of physical skills. He may have been picked second, but his contract included the then largest signing bonus for a rookie in NFL history. 36-yard line, fumble by Ryan Leaf. We played a horrific game. The one guy who played as poorly as you could play was Ryan Leaf. You're now listening to Bust, the Ryan Leaf story. I'd made a decision probably a week before the Rose Bowl that I was going to turn pro early. I was going to go as a junior. And then the next morning at the Lowe's Santa Monica ballroom, I announced to the world that I was going to go pro. You know, announced that Lee Steinberg would be my agent. He was just coming off Jerry Maguire's success. Tom Cruise's character was based kind of after him. And he had Steve Young and Troy Aikman and... True Bledsoe and Warren Moon, all these were all his quarterbacks. So he was the agent. So I had the best agent, I thought. Now it's time to play pro ball, the thing I don't want to do my whole life, right? Announced it to the world. And then, the you know, the, the tour kind of happened, right? So we whisked off to Pittsburgh because New England was playing Pittsburgh in the, uh, in the playoffs. Both the quarterbacks that were playing, Cordell Stewart and True Bledsoe, were with clients of his. And so he, you know, I got to meet them both after, you know, great game. And then... We whisk off back to San Diego for the Super Bowl. It's hosted at, uh, you know, at the Chargers Stadium at the time. You know, he had this big party that he throws every year at the Super Bowl. And do you remember the TV show Arliss? They're filming Arliss. And they ask if I can be in an episode of Arliss. I'm this big-time recruit that Arliss is trying to sign coming out of college. You know, so literally they show up at the big party where it's, you know, it's on location. And they tell me this is what he's going to say to you. And you respond with these words. Hey, Ryan Leave, how's the crown prince of quarterbacks, man? Uh, I heard about that thing that happened with Lucian. Is he all right? Oh, he's going to be fine. It's just a scratch. I'm making a big thing out of this. I heard there was no security. No, there was security there. I mean, it's just the media. You're going to get used to this. Listen, I've been talking to Indianapolis, San Diego. Listen, I want to meet your parents. My parents heard that, you know, I wasn't Hi, Arliss. How you doing? <laughs> so I filmed an episode of Arliss, right? I'm on the David Letterman show. All of this, and I've done fucking Nothing. Nothing. I'm going to all these banquets. They're giving me all these awards for college football, drinking. I got just fucking fat, you know. Uh, I was always big guy. I was always, you know, big bone. Always had trouble just staying awake. So I, I get up to like 268 pounds when I go to the combine. And I just look like a piece of shit in the photo. You know, you take a shirtless photo. You ever seen Tom Brady's photo? You know, he looks like, you know, my photo. I just look like... Like, I look like the frat guy at, at the university that plays intramurals that, that just drinks so much. And we, we used the excuse that I was on the party circuit. And, but I was 268 pounds, and I, I played at 235. So I was 30 pounds overweight. As always, we're reactive. I've always been a reactive person. I've never been proactive. I've always been like, go fuck up. And people say, oh, that's wrong. Okay, I'll fix it. You know, I show up at the combine, the biggest, best, hardest job interview of your life, right? To be essentially a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And I show up fucking 
ill-prepared, Ill hungover, uh, you know, with like toilet paper stuck to your shoe. That's what the, that's what my interview process was essentially at the combine. Again, because I just thought, hey, I'm the first pick or the second pick. Who gives a fuck? Uh, the, the Bears had me go do an MRI. I'm supposed to have a meeting with the Indianapolis Colts coach. I missed the meeting. Jim Mora got so bent out of shape about it uh, that it became this huge thing that I blew off Indianapolis because I didn't want to go there. Just to be clear, everybody, I wanted to go to San Diego. I played on the West Coast. I had family that lived in, in San Diego. I wasn't thinking about the right things. I wasn't thinking about Marvin Harrison out there catching balls and Adrian, and, and Marshall Falk in the backfield. I was more thinking about, you know, money and pussy. So, uh, what an asshole. Um, so when we leave there, I realized like, I can't be 268 pounds. Let's get a trainer. I got my agent to get me a trainer in Newport. I moved to Newport Beach. And I started training with him. It's the first time I really, you know, really focused on training. We worked on speed. We worked on, you know, throwing, everything. I was just getting ready for my workout. My, my workout was like April, April 3rd, up back up in Pullman. And so we were all working towards that spot. And I got in great shape. Um, you know, I ate right for the first time in my life. Uh, there was a focus to it. I got in the best, best probably athletic shape of my life, other than when I was a kid when I was just skinny and just could run and jump for, for days. And I was introduced to LA lifestyle a little bit too, right? You know, I, I went and, I, you know, they took me down Sunset and went to the old, uh, what was the place, Dublin's on Sunset. Then they, then they take me to the fucking Playboy Mansion and I'm like, I, I can't go to Indianapolis. I got to go to San Diego. There's no fucking NFL team in LA. I would be, I would be LA. Two hours away, I'd, I'd be fucking LA. I got to go to LA. So I made it very clear to my agent, like, I'm coming to San Diego. We're staying on the West Coast. I'm going to fucking own all this stuff, right? And that's that's how I thought. So ESPN the magazine had just come out. I think it was the second edition ever of ESPN the magazine. And they're going to put me and Peyton on the cover. And it's this iconic one now. It's a real close-up picture split in half of his face and my face. And it says quarterback 2000. And people forget how close it was. Like, people were fighting over who would be picked number one, me or him. Like, you know, hindsight now, 20 years later, people are like, that was an easy choice. Well, no one thought that was an easy choice then, right? In fact, a lot of people thought Peyton didn't have the last name Manning. He would be a third-round quarterback. So ESPN Magazine comes in and writes this article. And they made Peyton Manning the golden boy, and they made me. And we'll just sh show you by the first picture in the article. There's a picture of him in, like, in a, a polo shirt, cough tear and just like khakis and then there's a picture of me on the beach that we did the film shoot in a it's like a velvet chair they have me standing on in a like a red velvet smoker's jacket flying the ball with the sunset with a dark sunset in the back with me firing the ball at the camera it's a fucking great picture okay it's a great picture it's great art it's great what they were trying to do and that's what the whole article was was like this golden boy and this pirate who not many people really like and fights with reporters and teammates, but he's this gunslinger. And when it's all said and done, we like Leaf. We like him because like we like that. And instead of me in the article, like going, I'm so exhausted with this. It's not me. I'm, I'm more like Peyton. I'm this kind of this redneck from the sticks that loves to play football and is going to get to do it for the rest of his life. That's, that's who that is. Instead, I just, I, I ran with it. I'm okay. There's going to be a white hat. and There's going to be a black hat and all this. And that's, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the black hat. 
Because it doesn't matter. If I fucking rule and, I, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this quarterback thing in the NFL, then everything's gonna be fine. One time this beat writer wrote like an unflattering, critical article about me or something, and uh, he was standing on the sideline, and I, I literally fired the fucking ball at his head. And it, it was a story that hung with me. I mean, that, like every article that was written leading into the draft, like talked about that. Like he, he, this is what this is a guy who plays with a linebacker's mentality. Once fired a football at a reporter's head because he didn't like how he wrote a story about him. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, it was contentious. Right. It was always contentious unless they were writing positive things about me. I mean, my my local newspaper back home in Montana just loved to fucking just hammer me. You know, no matter what, if there was anything small that they could hammer, and they just. At this point, there wasn't much. All they could do was kind of like try to ride the coattails, but I wouldn't allow them in my life. You know, I was like, you fucked me. And I told, and this is my, I told you so tour. You know, that's, that's where I was at now. There was so much resentment in me for people who had wronged me growing up. Like this was, this was an accumulation of, of it finally coming to a head of where I was like, like, yeah, fuck all you. I told you, I fucking told you. And now I'm going to, now I'm going to rub it in your face. That's, that's where I was at now in terms of, how I thought like football was football was not even like a a, a thing that even I comprehended anymore that, that, that was gonna be second nature right it's all the stuff that came with it that I was looking forward to right the money the fame the girls the cars the houses all that shit so the draft was inevitable people didn't do the work back then to do, like do due diligence like show up on campus and be like uh, why wasn't he? Why wasn't he not the captain of the football team? Why do like bar patrons and people on campus like have horror stories about him getting kicked out of bars or or saying things to them? And so, I mean, I have been may have been the test rabbit for all that ultimately for how much they you know how much they lost in terms of how much they traded for me and how much they paid me and how I bombed so terribly. I may have been the the, the test balloon for for all that and how they started going about doing more due diligence around these first round draft picks and showcased in such a way that it's 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 memorable it was the launch of the internet I was drafted alongside arguably the greatest to ever play the game at that position and then the expectations were so high for me I mean they were so high I was supposed to be this can't miss prospect right I was just and, and the talent of course the talent was there I mean everybody's talented who gets drafted that high Draft day, April 18th, 1998. So cool. Peyton, Peyton and Charles Woodson were there again. Total Request Live on MTV was a huge show with Carson Daly at the time. They had us come and be at that little the Times Square studio and they're playing music and we're we're the star. I mean it's just it's so surreal for me. MTV here at our Times Square studio. I'm Carson Daly. Welcome. But I was also like, yeah, this is about right, right? This is this is what life's gonna be like. You know, they took me to the 21 Club and had dinner one night with the owner of the Chargers. Here's this billionaire having dinner with little old me, you know, really excited about if they get the opportunity to draft me, me being a, a member of the, the Chargers. And, and my whole family was there, like everybody, like extended family, all the people that would show up to my games, like my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents. So there was this huge group there, and they were all into me going to the Chargers. My aunt and uncle lived in Encinitas, which is just a suburb of, of San Diego. So it was like they all had these foam lightning bolts. There was still some hesitation that Indianapolis still could pick me because Jim Irsay, who we know is a very eccentric and an impulsive owner for the Indianapolis Colts, apparently loved me. 
there was still some worry that they may they may draft me number one overall and I may go to Indianapolis. But we found out the night before for sure that they've that they've made the decision they're gonna go to Peyton. The NFL is full of stars, but there's always room for more in the galaxy. It's blast off time for the class of 1998. We're in the green room there. They announced Peyton goes to Indianapolis. We're all excited. We all know what's going to happen. With the uh, first pick in the draft, the Indianapolis Colts select quarterback, University of Tennessee, Peyton Manning. So after the Indianapolis Colts drafted Peyton Manning, Lee Steinberg, my agent, told me, this is going to take the full 15 minutes. And I asked him why. And he simply said, this is a free advertisement for the San Diego Chargers. Their logo will be up for 15 minutes on essentially prime time viewing, the most eyeballs you can get on it. So they take the full time. You are being drafted. It's already done. The card's already written. They're just going to take the full 15 minutes. With the uh, second choice in the draft, the San Diego Chargers select quarterback, Washington State University, Brian Leaf. And then they announced Brian Leaf, second overall pick. This little fucking kid from Great Falls, Montana, where it happened, you know? my dream my family was there and they're cheering loud and there's the commissioner and there's the owner of the, the chargers and i'm holding up my jersey and it's it's everything i i i thought it would be and and it, and and what i how i thought it should be there he is ryan leaf 16. is the ceiling higher on him perhaps well, i really believe chris when you look back at this trade san diego moving up from three to two five years from now it may not look like bobby bethard gave up enough this kid has tremendous potential great physical ability throws the ball all over the field and i think when you look at san diego they were fortunate to have this pick they tried to trade you away. go through all the, the interviews and the, with the media and everything and then you go and you get on the owner's private jet. I've never been on a private jet in my life, right? So get on the owner's private jet. We fly down to Wake Forest in North Carolina to pick up the owner's son who's at college there. And then we get on the plane and we fly to Vegas. You know, there's been a lot made about what we did the night of the draft, right? My dad was on the plane, my agent. Uh, the Spanoses had a place in Vegas. I was flying all my uncles, all my buddies, the guys that that I rolled with through high school from the little small towns everywhere. I flew them into Vegas, and we all met there that night. And we just enjoyed each other's company. I mean, this was, it was a ton of sacrifice. There was a ton of hard work. People make fun of it. It's a joke. It's a punchline because of how my career ended. I wouldn't give up that night for anything because of who I got to share it with. I didn't drink. I didn't get out of control. I knew I had to get up the next morning and fly to uh, San Diego and do a press conference. I just looked around and viewed my life through the, the eyes of a 21-year-old with the boys who knew me when I was six. My dad who carried me and took me everywhere to do these things. That's what that night was about. It was almost what players do nowadays when they stay home from the draft. They make it about their family and their community, and that's what we did that night. So I'll never regret going to do that that night. It's one of the best experiences I've ever had. Got up first thing in the morning, went and jumped on the plane with my dad, and we flew over to San Diego and did the uh, press conference. Thanks to my new coaches, my new owners. It's a privilege for me to be up here with them. They've uh, put so much time and effort into getting me to the city of San Diego, and uh, I feel like I need to reward them in some way. So. Uh, Hopefully a, a Super Bowl ring or two can uh, do that in the next few years. I think I said something that would come back to haunt me years later because I said, I hope this is the start of a, 
a 15-year career with a couple Super Bowl parades. After my aunt, who was from the area, hooked me up with a real estate agent, and I went and looked at some some properties just right away. I don't. Even, there's no reason for me to go look at properties after the press conference, but I was like, let's go find the fucking biggest house we can think of, right? At the time, there was no salary. There's no rookie salary cap, so you could break the bank really. And with and the way he was positioning it, that that it was pick one A and one B, like Peyton and Mai's contract were going to be identical. Is ultimately what it was going to be. And uh, at 21 years old now, we're flying on a private plane to go do a press conference where I'm the number two overall pick, and they're about to pay me 31 and a half million dollars. Right? It was everything it was supposed to be. I think I went back home that summer over the 4th of July to like a local little town, lake town in Montana. And I think just to go back to be seen and like, I fucking told you, took my big ass victory lap, just a middle finger to everybody as I went through the process. Ran into that girl that stood me up twice in high school, by the way. That, that was a different, that was a different meeting than it was when we were in high school. But I was all, I was just like angry, just angry. I've been a resentful son of a bitch my whole life. When people wronged me, I mean, their name went on a list. And for the longest time, it was just a list in my head. But when I got to the NFL and things started going bad, that resentment list became a reality. Like I started writing people's name down. That is unhealthy as hell. Like that's sociopathic and almost psychopathic at some point because you're fantasizing about how you will be able to get back at them. And that is an incredibly difficult thing to overcome unless you're working with somebody but i i would write down the names of people and because of all the power that i felt i had now i really thought i was going to be able to crush them in some way shape or form down the line regardless of how they treated me they wanted to be a part of it so what i should have done is i should have came home and said to myself i don't care what the hell you guys did and taken the high road and said, let's do this. Let's go on this ride together, everybody. I'm fucking Ryan Lee from Great Falls, Montana. Never been another, won't ever be another. Let's do this together. But instead, I came back and I said, I'm fucking Ryan Leaf, motherfuckers. And you, you're going to eat everything you ever said. Fuck you. But after all of that, all the anger and everything, I still had everything in front of me. And I showed up at camp in shape, ready to be the leader of this football team. And I went out and won the job. I don't think they, I think ultimately were gonna have to give it to me, but I still had to go out and prove it. Prove it in front of a a defense that was loaded with veterans led by Junior Seau. And when I was named the starter, I was brought into the fold of the team a little differently. Most rookies are hazed, but I was about to be the starting quarterback of this team. You can't take the starting quarterback who's supposed to be the leader and tie him up to the goalpost with tape and everything like that. So instead, I was watching film one night and Junior walked in and he said, hey, uh, you're going to take the defense out to dinner. Where's your credit card? And so I went and got it and I gave it to him. And the next day he showed up, he gave me the receipt and it was like $5,500. And I remember how pissed I was in the moment. But, you know, I had a bunch of the guys on the defense come up to me the next day and say, thanks for dinner. And I don't know if they were just kind of being joke, but it, it felt like it was an endearing thing. And I felt part of the team. I was named the starter. I won my first two starts. No one had done that since John Elway in 1983 as a rookie. So Peyton lost his first two starts. I was like, I'm fucking winning. I'm winning everything, right? 
Pepsi came along and gave me a huge Pepsi deal endorsement. And I was playing well. You know, I just we just went down to Tennessee and beat Steve McNair and Eddie George. You know, this fucking little rookie quarterback. We went down and beat them. 2-0. About Tuesday of the week, next week, we're about to go to play Kansas City at Arrowhead. I come into the facility and I'm sick as shit. And I went to the doctor and they look at the they look at the turf burn on my on my calf from the week before and it's fucking infected and I got a staph infection. So they put me in the hospital. So I'm in the hospital Wednesday, Thursday, most of Friday, getting IVs. And then, you know, we're supposed to travel on Saturday. They've been bringing me the game film. And so we get to Kansas City. They haven't made a decision whether I'm starting yet. And I remember talking to my quarterback, Coach June Jones, and the head coach, Kevin Gill, Ryan said, I'm, I'm playing. Whatever you have to do, I'm fucking playing. And so they say, okay, you, you can start. And they gave me all these IVs with, I swear to God, it was like adrenaline. Uh, before the game, and I have one of the best warm-ups you can imagine. And right when warm-ups was about to end, it just starts raining. And it rained like a hurricane rain. Like rivers running down the aisles of the stadium. It was bad. And we come out, and I just kind of hit a wall already. In the first play of the game, we run this bootleg. I complete it. I'm one for one for four yards, and I don't complete another pass the rest of the game. I go one for 15 for four yards with two picks, three fumbles, and like five sacks. But it's not like Rich Gannon for Kansas City does any better. The weather's terrible. I think we end up losing like 14 to 10 or something like that. They benched me late in the game. I was humiliated and I was embarrassed at my performance. I'd never played that poorly in my life. And we're in the locker room afterwards and it's supposed to be your sanctuary. And in the vulnerable moments, like when you play poorly, you hope for that, but the media is ever present in these professional locker rooms. And so this cameraman is there. He's got one of those old cameras with a huge battery on the back. Well, he's turning around, and he swings it. And I just stand up at the wrong time, and he smokes me in the head. And I fucking lose it. I just spared nothing on this, this cameraman who hit me in the head. Like, motherfuck him up and down. And I got to get pulled out, you know, out to the side there. And I, I can't remember talking to the media after that game, but I remember the, the general manager, Bobby Bethard, who had, you know, stuck his reputation on me by drafting me and making me part of it. He said, hey, let this go. We'll go home. We know you were sick all week. We'll get back to work, and we'll get after it. The reporter neglected to say why I actually got so mad at the cameraman that he had, you know, smacked me in the head and like split my my forehead open. Not that that matters at all, because I was completely out of control when it came to my behavior at this time in my life. I remember press for me, like, I'm just reading, I, I read everything. You know, what other people thought of me was so much of my business. And I'm the big, tough, fucking athletic guy. You're just this peon writer who never could cut it in anything. So I read the article, and he, he pretty much lays out the whole thing, what happened. Here's me just completely undressing this cameraman who apparently worked for the team. So we go and do the walkthrough, and then at the end, the gaggle of reporters are around me, and they do the questions. And I was just looking at the guy, and he had to know I'm just, like, seething to when this thing's all over so I can confront it. The gaggle of reporters leaves, and I look at him, and he's starting to walk away, and I fucking grab him, and I put his ass down in the chair. And then I start telling him, hey, I'm gonna be here for 15 years. We gotta have a relationship. You cannot fucking divulge personal things that happen in the locker room. That's gotta be our sanctuary. We gotta have something there between us. He's like, Ryan, I'll do whatever I want. I'm gonna report the news. And you were an asshole to somebody, so I'm gonna report it. And I was like, I lost it. And this is the infamous scene. You don't talk to me, all right? Knock it off! The cameraman in the corner of the room could hear me start to scream. 
and yell. And he pans around just in time for me, like lowering over the top of him, put, putting my finger at him. And by that time, you know, Junior Seau and the head of communications both get over to me and they pull me out. But that's that's the clip, right? And then it was just this constant fight. Because then the, my dad was down there and uh, this whole thing is a huge news story. So my dad sits down with me and essentially writes an apology. And then they video, they videotape the apology and I'm just like, I misdirected my anger and I was extremely disappointed in my performance and I let it show. So sorry if that sounded kind of rehearsed. You can just see this petulant child. And then you watch me and I just kind of fling it into the locker. And they got it all, I mean just, I look like no one else fucking matters in the world except me. And why would you bother me with this bullshit? And it just, it took on a life of its own. It's on inside the NFL, uncensored. I, I don't come across well to the media, to the fans. We play the Giants next week and I'm like, okay, this shit's all gonna go away, cause guess what? I'm gonna fucking throw four touchdowns this weekend. The Giants aren't very good. Danny Cannell's the quarterback and, and everything will be right again. Well, I don't. I go out and throw four picks. I've never thrown four picks in my life. They run a Make-A-Wish commercial with me with some terminally ill kids like midway through the third quarter and the fucking stadium boos it. And, I'm, and I got benched again. And So I tell people all the time that my NFL career ended after game three. I would play, you know, four, I'd play four, almost five years in the NFL, but I don't remember another positive thing after that. And it wasn't because of how I played. It was how I reacted to a situation. It was how I reacted to my poor play. It wasn't the poor play that, that existed. There are many people that have those rookie moments. In fact, everybody says they need a rookie moment to humble them and make them a better player. My reaction for the next two and a half years in, in San Diego is exactly how I lived my whole life when I got defensive. I fucking fought. And you cannot fight the world's best defenses every single week and then the media and your teammates and the organization, I could not get through the idea that how could this city that was so in love with me two weeks ago hate me so much now? How can that happen? And then I get angry because the loyalty thing, like rats flee a sinking ship like crazy. We play the Oakland Raiders next and we got beat and I played poorly. When we got back to San Diego, Rodney Harrison, my teammate, our day offs are Tuesdays, so we were in on Monday going through the film and getting a workout in, and he goes, hey, why don't you come to Vegas with a bunch of us? We're gonna go to Vegas tonight for our day off. So we would fly to Vegas, spend the night gambling and having fun Monday night, relax, hit the spa, get massages, hang out Tuesday and fly back Tuesday night. Never done it before. I felt like the fact that a team leader was asking me to go and be a part of it meant something. It was interesting to see what what Vegas is like now as a professional athlete. He had a, a host at a casino, so he could just call somebody, and they had a room set up for us and all these things. We get down to the tables. We, we hit everything. I mean, I turned $5,000 into $125,000. And we got the, the girls hanging with us. So this was my first real introduction to what Vegas can offer me in terms of absolutely disappearing into an oblivion, right? No one can see what goes on. Your inhibitions aren't there. You don't have to think of anything else. And they treat you like you're a king. And this was my first experience with it, you know? We go out late. We have a blast. We wake up in the morning and turn on the TV. And there on Sports Center, dun-da-dun, dun-da-dun, my head coach, 
for the San Diego Chargers, the guy that had drafted me, who had really taken me under his wing, now five games into my rookie season, just got fired. 